Welcome to this emergency Bleeding Cincy Red podcast uh, about the firing of Brian Price. It just happened moments ago, and Robert and I are hopping on to uh, discuss this uh, monumental moment in not only Red's history, but in the rebuild. And after a 3-15 and start, um, we're going to discuss whether it was necessary, what we liked about Brian Price, what we didn't like about Brian Price, and also uh, maybe dive in a little bit into the interim manager. Not a happy day in Redstown, but maybe a happy day for some, and a transition for sure. So let's get this party started. Go Reds! inevitable but uh here we are at the end of brian price's tenure as the manager of the reds it definitely happened much earlier in the season than i was expecting and and honestly i was hoping the reds would do so well this year that this moment never came but uh here we are i was expecting it much later in the season as well um, typically in a rebuilding process, it always seems like the, the manager involved in the rebuilding process never lands or, or never sticks around long enough to see the fruits of the success. Um, it just tends to go in that direction for whatever reason. Um, it's almost like the manager is brought in specifically to kind of nurture young young guys. And then when it's right about ready to turn around, they bring in somebody experienced or someone who... Hardcore fits the winning philosophy that the GM and the management team expect. So I, I'm with you. I, I was expecting Brian Price to get fired later in this year, later this year. But uh, I certainly didn't see it this early in the season. But when you start three and fifteen, and you finished in last place the past three four seasons, and this is supposed to be kind of a turning it around year, uh, the 500 season, it gets really tough to keep your job. Yeah, you know, 3-15 and 15 can kind of sound like it's bad. Like, it sounds bad, but it can sound like, oh, well, it's bad, but it's not like the end of the world. But considering the Reds are the oldest professional baseball team in Major League Baseball, and this is the second worst start in the history of that franchise, which has had lots of great years, but they've also been around long enough they've had lots of bad years i mean that's really saying something when you just start off so so bad and and the record doesn't even say it like you know following these games um, so many of them it just feels hopeless even watching them like it doesn't even feel like like it's one thing if we have a bad record but it feels like we're playing competitive baseball and it's just not falling our way Uh, and a few games have been that way but most of the losses have just felt like we're going to lose. Like, we just know we're going to lose. We just and... know we're going to lose. I mean, in 2010, those 2010 through 2013 years, even when we were down in games, it always felt like we had a chance to come back. It really did. And it seemed a lot. We had a lot of walk-off wins. 
it just felt like the opportunities were there and we were going to capitalize on them. Not every time, but a lot of the time. So you were hopeful. But it does. Through these first 18 games of the season, anytime we are down, which is most of the time, that, mm-hmm. that that's what's uncanny about this, is we've had very few leads in this entire season so far. Then every time we are down, it feels hopeless. It feels like we are not going to score runs. In fact, yesterday's game, I, I was watching it. It was a day game against the Brewers. And Reds killer Eric Thames just continues to mash the ball. So whatever our scouting department is doing, we're doing it wrong when it comes to him. But, I mean, we were down two to nothing, and I just assumed we were not going to win. We loaded the bases, I think, twice, could not score runs. I know we had runners on third, could not get them in. Now, I don't completely, I don't fault Brian Price for this. This is certainly on a lot of the hitters, and I do think what hit this 3-15 and 15 start is all about the fact that we can pin it on pitching, but realistically, it's on our batting. I mean, we have not hit at all. I mean, Winker, Votto. And Jeanette, not one of them has a home run 18 games into the season. They are not hitting doubles. They are not hitting for power. Now, Winker and Votto are getting on base, but and, and I'm a big on-base guy, but if you're not hitting for any power whatsoever, it is tough to get these runs in. And so um, I, I looked up this stat right now, and on uh, our on-base plus slugging so far into the 2018 season as a team is only 619. I mean, that's that's pretty abysmal. Um, and under Brian Price, he's been here since 2000. He was hired in 2014. Um, and looking through this numbers, that's the lowest it's been since his initial year in 2014, um, which was 661. But that was really mostly in part because Vado was hurt nearly the entire year. All the other years were above 700, which which isn't wonderful, but it isn't terrible either. Yeah, and it's hard to tell, like, you know, are these numbers just, you know, a perfect storm of people getting off to a bad start? Uh, are they a product of Brian Price as a background as a pitching coach? Is it a product of uh, the hitters not getting the attention they need to make little tweaks in their swings? I don't know. Or, you know, is it, I've heard lots of uh, commentators uh, trying to defend Brian Price saying that setting the lineups and uh, making those bullpen decisions don't matter at all, that managers basically, it doesn't matter who's in there. Um, but when, when you're starting a lot of lineups with uh, Billy Hamilton and Jose Peraza, um, who, who are both um, not doing a great job of getting on base this year um, in the 1-2 slots, and um, historically have not been good at getting on base, then then you start to wonder if that just kind of trickles down throughout the lineup. And then also all the different lineups that Price has thrown out there. I know that they've played 18 games. I think they've started like uh, somewhere between, uh, I know at least 15 different lineups. I don't know if they've gone 18 for 18 on the different lineups, but it's been... A crazy amount of different lineups where, uh, you know, is that throwing off the offense right there that, that people are not able to get into a, a normal rhythm? And and I don't know what the answers are, but I do know that we're at three and fifteen, and uh, a, a change it just it just had to be made. And um, this is 
the weirdest thing that I, I noticed when I was doing like, you know, five minute research before this podcast is that, uh, uh, Brian price has a 279 wins, uh, career for the reds, 387 losses. And if you add those up, it comes out to 666 games or, uh, <laughs> the, the really bad number of six six six. So so you know maybe maybe this is some kind of uh, you know fate thing that you know this had to end. Um, also, I did a quick search through the Reds' managerial uh, records uh, lifetime, and Brian Price. Um, you know, some people will point to how you know he's kind of had a raw deal going through the rebuild and stuff, and like I do agree to that to some point. But uh, he is the longest tenured by far uh, Reds manager that has a career losing record for the team. So he has had more than enough time of uh, losing compared to all other managers in Reds history. He certainly outlasted Tony Perez, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one, that one may be the craziest fight. Maybe, maybe we'll cover that one day. Uh, the, yeah. the, all the, the forty-four the games of greatness. Yeah, forty-four yeah. games of of greatness. Um, it's funny because for a long time, I, I really have wanted to love Brian Price. I mean, he's right. been kind of an analytical mind. He's talked that way. You and I have discussed that many times. Just like last year, one one of the the exciting but puzzling things was last year off the get go. He he had explained how he was going to handle things very differently, especially when it came to the bullpen and other ways. I mean, he he seemed to be thinking in terms like Joe Madden and other managers that I kind of admire. Um, but as the season wore on, he would fall back into that extremely traditional thinking, and that that mm-hmm. became very frustrating. To me, as someone who liked the forward thinking, especially when you have an opportunity to do it with young guys who aren't set in their ways, um, this year I, I'm with you. Like the consistency in the lineup thing drove me crazy. Uh, it, it may be overthinking with analytics, trying to do the excuse me righty lefty, all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, like I know in softball, my softball team, I hit better when I know I'm hitting leadoff every week. Now I am the manager of that team, so I dictate dictate that lineup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will tell you, we have two championships under our belt. It may have taken us 14 years, but two championships. <laughs> so um, with, with Brian Price, really that inconsistency, I believe, was a factor in how poorly the offenses started this year. More concerning was certainly the pitching. I mean, the young pitching coming out here has been rough off the get-go, and He's a pitching coach. I mean, this is what he is known for. And the the fact that the ERA this year is so far the highest it has been in, in his five years. I mean, just looking at this, the ERA has gotten progressively worse since 2014. As a team, in 2014, we were at 3.59. And I know I know back then we, we still had, I believe, Johnny Cueto. At least for, you know, we had Johnny Cueto. And we, uh, we had some... Mike Leake and, and some better pitchers and that we weren't as young. So it's kind of unfair, honestly, to compare to that. But since then, it, you know, as the years go on, our team ERAs were 4.33, 4.91, 5.17. And that was considered one of the worst years in Reds pitching history. And this year we're up to 4 point, or I'm sorry, 5.42 to start off the year. And it's just been brutal. It seems like Iglesias is not being used enough. Yeah, and when they use people like uh, Garrett, uh, who had a phenomenal spring training, 
honestly, I thought he should have been the number five guy in there instead of Reed. A lot of people felt that way. Yeah, why was he not in the starting rotation? Yeah. yeah. Is there some secret that we're not aware of? Yeah, and, and then, yeah, and, and I believe, like, what the explanation I heard is that they're going to use Garrett in these high-leverage relief situations. But then, uh, once the season got started, uh, it seemed like Price would put him in when we're down by five, and then when the game's super close, he put in Gallardo, um, who, who isn't on the team anymore, and uh, Quackenbush, and, and then Garrett with his pristine 0.00 ERA is being thrown in there when the game's out of hand and it doesn't matter. And, uh, and then at the same time, not using Iglesias when uh, the score is uh, tied or it's a one run game, which we don't have a lot. We haven't had a lot of so far this year. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, thought process i know we talked about this in our best case worst case thing with the glacius it's like you know should they just use them as a closer uh, to get those saves or or when should they use him uh you know more in a setup role or, or something like that and uh it really seemed like they're doing this old school we're only going to put him in if we're up by one or two runs and he can get that save versus all hands on deck. We need to try to win a couple games this year. Yeah. So yeah, all hands um, on deck. Best part of the lineup is up. The game is tied. Bring in your best pitcher. Yeah, that yeah, seems, it's been uh... seems easy. It's it, it seems it's so frustrating. I mean, I watched for years, not just the Reds, but so many other teams. I'm even angry for other teams. I was yeah. like, why is your best pitcher? Didn't this happen in the All Star game like a year or two ago? Like there was, oh no, it was the playoffs. Yeah. It was Buck Showalter. He did it when the Orioles were in the playoffs, and their life was on the line. And Zach Britton was nowhere to be found. It's just waiting for this perfect moment that's not coming. <laughs> right. We right. we have to man. You know, at, at at certain points, like a team has to manufacture those perfect moments and those wins. And uh, you know, you can't just you know you can't just sit Joey Votto down and say <laughs> we're we're only going to use him when. Uh, when we're winning or we're tied, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you throw him out there every day because because uh, he's Joey Votto and because he's your he's, best hitter. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So there, there are lots of. I think there are lots of places where we could pick at him. You know, like different uh, uh, slots that people have, have been in in the lineup. Uh, one thing I know, like I, I saw like an analytic uh, a few days ago where. Uh, Somebody was questioning starting uh, Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin continually over Alex Blandino, who seems like he's more of the future of the Reds. And right now with Suarez out injured, um, it's like the perfect time to test out one of your former first-round picks and Alex Blandino and see if uh, he works or not. And, um, you know, even one of the games we're going up against the left-hand pitcher and someone brought up that, like, his OPS is, Blandino's OPS uh, career, and this is minors, is uh, plus 900 against left-handed pitching. And yet he was not started. And, uh, you know, this is one of those many uh, little decisions uh, that Price has been making this year where, where people are scratching their heads. And, and Brian, I know you were... Um, Talking about the Splandino move in particular, you had kind of an interesting take on maybe why Price is not making some of these moves. 
Yeah, I was trying to figure out why Blandino wasn't starting because if we're talking analytics and numbers, it made complete sense for him to be in there. I started to get the feeling, and I don't know if this is true, but I started to get the feeling that Brian Price clearly knew he was on the hot seat. He knew this was kind of the area to prove things. And off the get-go, when managers are really trying to save their jobs, I often believe that they won't turn to rookies in these scenarios. I often think that they're going to turn to veterans who are in there who are least likely to make a mistake. Because rookies are going to make more mistakes. It's, it's just inevitable. Um, they're getting their feet wet. They're a little more nervous. I mean, hell, I'd be, I'd be more nervous being out there for my first few games in the majors trying to prove myself. Um so that's why I thought perhaps you had Gosselin out there and Pennington and and all these guys who aren't your former number one draft pick who you believe has potential to maybe not be the starter in any of these infield spots, but with injuries could be the starter in any one of these infield spots. And so if you're calling him up, I, I think you throw him in there and you make him your everyday guy. Um, I get that you give him a day off, you know, play him a few days to give him a day off just because of being new. But at the same time, I, I don't understand it. Otherwise, um, just Brian Price, him thinking that this would help save his job. Whereas, and, and I'll, I love your opinion on this because you sounded like you felt it was kind of, it worked against Brian Price. It was not in his favor to try to save his job. Right. And I, I think when you, you look at some of these, like I understand the whole veteran versus rookie argument um, that comes up, but when, you start looking at the veterans that you're using and what they've proven their upside is versus an unproven uh, talent who's, who's got supposedly a lot of upside. Uh, Blandino has a lot of upside. You know, he had a great year at Louisville last year. Um, former first-round pick. Um, like I said, um, you know, you, you know what Pennington's offering you, and that's a lot of people left on base when he comes up to bat. And um, same thing with uh, Gosselin. And, and, you know, I think this even came over into the bullpen decisions he made. You know, like, once you started making this argument, I started looking, you know, at the names, Gallardo, Quackenbush, who are on the roster and being started over people with definite more upside like Garrett, Amir Garrett. And the only thing that can really justify it is that he's looking at it in this very old school, uh, very non analytics driven approach of I'm going to use the older guys, um, who have more experience <laughs> with, and meanwhile, like totally ignoring like Gallardo in particular, you know, had two straight years of plus five ERA, and that's the guy that you're relying on in these uh, close games over the, the guy who's just killed it. Um, and spring training had uh, a great start to last year before he got hurt. And uh, I don't think you can hold uh, Garrett's performance. He had five of his first six starts last year were quality starts. And uh, a couple were dominant. Yeah, we're very dominant. Very dominant. I remember against and the And I don't think you can hold like his injury against him that, that held him back the rest of the season. I think you have to look at that five out of six starts. You have to look at Garrett was a top 50 prospect before he did that um, dominance at the beginning of last season. So the pedigree was there. I think, uh, you know, you look at some of his... Uh, 
lineup decisions uh, that he set up with, uh, you know, Pennington, Goslin in particular over Blandino. And then you look at some of his bullpen decisions, bringing a Quackenbush or a Gallardo over a Garrett. And um, it, it really almost looks like, you know, it was a manager who's like kind of like, I don't want to say that he's coaching scared. I'm sure he wasn't. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, that would be denied or whatever. But from the outside, it just gives that sense that that's kind of what's going on instead of. So for, for me, like, I feel like, you know, the good the good stuff here is um, the total moves that I've seen so far is that, you know, Brian Price has been fired. Uh, Mac Jenkins, the pitching coach, has been fired. Uh, Jim Riggleman has been brought on as the interim coach. Well, I mean, he's already on the team, but uh, he's been promoted to interim coach. Uh, Pat Kelly, who's Louisville's manager, has been promoted to the bench coach. And uh, Danny Darwin from uh, the Pensacola pitching coach has been promoted up to the staff. I don't know if that means he's going to be the pitching coach or if somebody else is uh, being the pitching coach and Darwin's just helping out. I don't know. But um, the good thing going forward this season, this is where you know people say you know managers don't matter, all that stuff. Um I really don't see the Reds doing worse than what they've done the first 18 games. God, let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if they do, then, you know, Brian Price can, can say, no, 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 you know, all that stuff. Uh, but, uh, I think the, the good thing going forward is that, uh, Riggleman as the interim coach is not going to be looking over his shoulder because, um, he knows he's an interim coach now. And Riggleman also, he's if we had to bring in somebody as an interim coach, Riggleman is really um, just looking over, is really looks like the guy for the job because he has previously been the interim coach for the Seattle Mariners and the Washington Nationals. So he's been in this position before. He knows uh, he's experienced with, you know, what kind of how to handle the situation of coming in and replacing another coach uh, and knowing that, you know, he might not Riggleman may not be around beyond this year, but he kind of knows, he knows what was called for in this situation. Um, of course, being in a, <laughs> those types of situations, his overall career record is not um, Dusty Baker. Like he's got a 445 uh, winning percentage uh, career, but um but but he knows he knows how to coach. He's he's been here. He knows he knows what to do. And sometimes a change like this, uh, I feel, even if you don't change any of the other pieces, can sometimes kind of give a boost to the team. And sometimes just in like this magical, uh, no one can quite explain it type of way. It just kind of changes the dynamics of everything. Yeah, I think it rattles things a little bit, usually in good ways. Not always, but usually in good ways. It's funny because I was looking over Jim Riggleman's numbers, and like you, um, he seems to make sense as an interim coach because he has the experience of doing it before. Um, he certainly he has a losing record with every team that he's managed, um, which is, is pretty surprising that a guy would continue to get uh, managerial jobs if he continually has losing records. That said, uh, I recognize that one of my good friends from Chicago, Joe, pointed out to me that he thought this was a good hire for the Reds in the interim and asked him why. 
and he said uh, he, he he managed the Cubs for a few years, and he said he thought he was a class act as a manager, that he handled himself well, that when players, he pointed out one or two instances to me where a player uh, had a bad day, made an error, and um, he really helped settle things over with the the fans and with uh, the broadcast team and all that kind of stuff, and even with the player. And so... He also mentioned that Riggleman was using his computer to try to understand numbers before iPhones and before all that kind of thing. So there's some hope there as well. Um, I think it's I, – I, it does seem like Riggleman's a class act. It does seem like Riggleman is not likely to have uh, an interview where he drops 77 F-bombs like <laughs> Brian Price once did. I think, I think it's important – a couple of uh, notes for Brian Price before we completely get off of him is to, to note that uh, in 2015 he had a couple of uh, – most people remember – he had a couple of very odd moments where some were calling for his head, which was one, the interview where I think it was Trent Rosencrantz asked the question about Devin Mezzarocco, who was on the DL, and was he going to be joining the team because he knew that he was at the hotel. <laughs> he was at the hotel in the opposing team city, and uh, and Brian Price just went crazy and started swearing over and over and over again, um, which you can find on YouTube if you really <laughs> want. Uh, and, and that seemed extremely odd. And then I think of like a month later, do you remember this? I, I think the game was in Cleveland, and Brian Price – Got ejected while before the game, while handing in the player cards. Oh, no. Do you remember I that? About that I, no, like, I forget about that one. I, I only remember this because I had never seen it before. Yeah. Now the, the now the seventy. I think he was upset about a call from the day before and just wanted to get it in. Now I thought the, I thought the swearing tirade looked was a really bad look. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people didn't like this getting ejected for the game because they thought it seemed like a rookie kind of thing to do. I actually kind of liked it. I thought defending your guys the next day seemed like something that was. Uh, would I, I thought maybe it would be a key turning point in the season. It wasn't, but like I kind of <laughs> liked it. Uh, but I don't think Jim Riggleman will do uh, these kind of odd things that will cause the a media circus to go on and talk more about the manager and, and less about the team. Like Really, I think part of the manager's job is to, to defend his team, but at the same time, like – he just kind of kind of wants to go unnoticed a lot of the time. I think some of the best managers often go unnoticed, and right. that's why I'm hoping Jim Jim Riggleman is going to do. Um, you're right; it doesn't seem like they can do any worse. I mean, it, it really doesn't. Um, poor Tyler Malley. You pointed this out to me, and I didn't even realize. And, and I'd like you to to explain it to me. But like this poor guy has gotten no run support whatsoever. Is that right? Yeah, well, he's gotten one run, I believe, on the season, and that's where he got his one win on the season. <laughs> <laughs> his one run of support uh, all season. Uh, another thing, you know, I'm, I'm a big Mally fan, so like, I, you know, I'm paying attention during the games, but like, you know, a few of his earned runs have come from relief pitchers coming in, to, yeah, to to save the day and uh, you know, giving up. More adding more earned runs to uh, to Mali. Uh, same thing happened to Castillo the other night. Uh, left the game uh, six and two thirds innings with uh, two runs. Uh, Castillo and uh, you know his his line for the night ended up being uh, giving up four runs. <laughs> oh, it, it's Manning. Uh, I know, have, it's, I it's Mally, hard. 
I have Mally and Castillo on my fantasy team because I was I was I took them late and was like high on them. I thought this was going to be the year. So trust me, I am the one who selfishly wants Iglesias in the minute they come out of the game. <laughs> Hold on to that quality start, <laughs> or at least not Quackenbush. I mean, not Quack. quack this is amazing uh, how how often he gets called on uh, so far this year. I, I know my. And, I was sitting here the other night watching the game. My in-laws were over, and we were talking. And Quackenbush came in. I was, and I, I think my father-in-law was even like, "Oh, it's Quackenbush." And my mother-in-law went, "Who?" And I think that sums up how the Reds' yeah. bullpen is shaping up at the moment. Like, who? Who is this? Um, yeah. She didn't think it was a real name, and I was like, "He's only been used <laughs> yeah. the most this season," um, and that is <laughs> certainly a direct result of the manager. So. So yeah, I don't know. I, I Jim Riggleman is probably fine. I think that I think the Reds will perform better. I think they were going to perform better anyway at some point under Brian Price. They can't right. continue to hit no homers and hardly any doubles. Like it's just not possible. Suarez is going to come back. Shebler is going to come back. Uh, I think the offense will kick it into gear. I think the pitching will settle down, especially as the weather warms a little bit and everything. Um, I think we're going to be fine. Uh, and and Riggleman is going to get a lot of credit for it, and some he will deserve. Um, but I, I believe in the, the balance of things in baseball often. So, um, I think Brian Price certainly deserved to be relieved. That's my take. Um, I, I am a little sad. Like I said, I personally kind of like him, but it, it was time and, and Riggleman's here. And now becomes the big question of who's the next Reds manager. Does it stay Riggleman right. for the coming several seasons or is it someone else maybe lurking, hanging out down in Florida? Maybe. <laughs> Used to play shortstop for the Reds, maybe. Is this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that—that's the. And you know, I, I'm sure some people are going to wonder if some of the comments by Barry Larkin and spring training kind of helped lead to this uh, perfect storm. And I, don't, I don't think there's any way you can uh, tie any of that stuff together. Though so, you know, it, it may have had an impact on some of the the way the yeah. way that uh, Price was coaching. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's looking over his shoulder a little bit too much instead of uh, pushing forward. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting if uh, our favorite uh, Cincinnati Red is uh, in in the running uh, when this season's all over and uh, the the next uh, coaching choice is being made. So yeah, I want to we'll see. I want to make sure that the Reds know I'm throwing my name in the hat. I, I would like to be considered. <laughs> I will bring Robert along as uh, one of my top coaches. And like I said, in the past 14 years, two, two softball championships under my belt. Now, pay no attention to my fantasy baseball record. No attention (laughs) to that whatsoever. (laughs) But two softball championships. I have the trophies. Uh, Sounds sounds like they'll be doing all right if you're batting leadoff. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I'm a high OBP guy. (laughs) I don't hit for much power these days, and I don't run well. But <laughs> just getting on base. <laughs> but, I, but I get on base. I don't make outs. So, uh, so yeah, I'll be curious to see if Barry Larkin uh, is truly considered for the Reds manager. I, I have strong opinions of this, and I won't go too in depth. But I'm going to say them real quick, which is like the idea of Barry Larkin as a manager does excite me. I think he's incredibly smart. He's bilingual. Uh, he relates to players. He had massive success, so he can always lean on that. That's something I think Brian Price 
didn't have. I don't think it's necessary in a manager, but I do think it helps if you have a successful playing career behind you, like Mike Sosha, and he can point to that and use his own experiences, which is something Brian Price really didn't have, unfortunately. Um, I think Barry Larkin can do that. Now, one of the things that always makes me nervous is this Tony Perez theory, um, which is you have your hometown hero comes back to manage, and what happens when things don't go well? Like... You, you have to fire them and to fire your Hall of Fame shortstop, you know, one of the last greatest players to play for the Reds, who's going to be incredibly hard. It's why I think managers like players like Don Mattingly and Mike Sosha um, find success not with the teams that they were known for playing with, but find success with other teams like they, they develop and define this new persona uh, being in another city like Mattingly did it at the Dodgers and now is trying to in, in Miami that's all I can think with the Reds is like at least we're not Miami you know <laughs> at least we're not the Marlins franchise <laughs> faking where we exist to avoid paying back Miami and 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 trading away everybody um so um yeah are there any other candidates we should quickly think about other than Barry Larkin well, I, I know that they, you know, there was a, a much to do about, uh, was it John Farrell? Who, oh, yeah. Um, is currently scouting out. Apparently his job is just to scout out the entire red system. Um, and, and, you know, there are conspiracy theorists who, who think that basically he's just getting to know the system before he takes over <laughs> as manager. Um, I but, you know, it theorists. might be possible. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and Joe Girardi's uh, hanging out there, you know. Is he? Yeah, a yeah. I've, I've heard Girardi's name thrown around, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like that's something I'm not overly concerned with right now. Right now, I'm just I'm wanting to see the Reds during their next 18 games, you know, win win more than three. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I honestly feel like this team is still good. Um, we, we've got some of the team is on the DL. Um, I feel like uh, uh, some of the batters who are still healthy and on the roster have been underperforming. Uh, some of the, the pitchers, uh, especially the starting pitchers, are have not shown us their best side yet. I, I, I honestly don't believe that Castillo's current uh, earned run average is anywhere close to what it's going to be at the end of the season. I think Mali is going to be much better uh, at the end of the season. His numbers are going to look great. I am encouraged by Bailey's quick start. It's the kind of start that we were hoping he would show. Um, and then uh, Romano and uh, Finnegan, I expect to at least be league average by the end of the season, which is a good Good spot compared to last year. I mean, honestly, as bad as it's been this year, at least there's been a little bit of consistency in the pitchers this year, um, halfway through April, which last year, I don't know at this point how many different starting pitchers we already had. So Yeah, I the, the past couple of games, we've held the Brewers to two runs, just two individual yeah. two-run homers to, to Thames. So, like... <laughs> yeah. We looked good, and, and I think they, they continue to look better. And, in fact, in the Brewer series, we technically outscored them, if I'm not mistaken, either 9-8 to eight or maybe it was 9-9 nine to nine total. But we just scored all of our runs in one game. So 
I th- I, I'm with you. I think there's some encouraging things going on there. Once the offense starts to click, I think we'll be in a much better shape. My God, let's have more than three wins over the next 18 <laughs> games. There, there's not much else to ask for. And uh, a couple of last-minute last stats I want to throw in there that I didn't get to, but I looked up and I thought were interesting. And I, I have no idea, and maybe this is for us. I wish we had a research person that could just uh, – Tony Reale who could sit there and research a bunch of stuff <laughs> for us and, and pull this together because I'm curious. But under Brian Price, this was an interesting fact. He had 115 challenges – on plays, on calls, and 59 got overturned. So that's more than half. And I was curious. I wonder what the going rate is for a manager on their on their thing. Like, is more than half really good? Is more than half really not that good? Should it be up to 70-some percent based on you can see the replay? I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And lastly, the other thing, a, a point about Jim Riggleman, and I don't know if you saw this or even remember this, the last team he managed was the Washington Nationals, and he came in and kind of took them over. And uh, he was having a, a pretty decent year um, that year, and partway through the season he resigned because he had been on the hot seat all year, and he resigned because they wouldn't make a commitment to him. And I don't remember another manager just up and quitting, you know? Yeah, yeah. When being yeah. on the hot seat, like usually it's like Brian Price is desperately trying to save the job. <laughs> And, and he kind of backed away. So uh, hopefully things I, – I hope the Reds do well no matter what. But uh, hopefully he doesn't up and leave us for any particular reason part with <laughs> through the season. Uh, unless it's making way for Barry Larkin, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it, uh, <laughs> it would just add to an already interesting season. It's been an interesting season so far. So. It is. Well, now, I'm not ruling out anything uh, the rest of the <laughs> way. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. I'm not ruling out anything. Anything <laughs> is certainly possible. So, uh, anyway, well, we want to thank everybody for listening to this emergency uh, podcast on the firing of Brian Price. Hopefully that only means good things to come for the rest of the season. Um, thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter, Bleeding Cincy Red, without the G. Follow us on Facebook. And, of course, A special thanks to our all-time favorite Red and potential future manager of the Cincinnati Reds, Barry Larkin, for listening. I'm sure he's tuned in somewhere. Go Reds! (laughs) 